Thank you for joining us today at Our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in seven different locations. We hope that today's message encourages and empowers you on your spiritual journey and helps you grow deeper in your relationship with God. To learn more about Our Savior's Church and how you can get involved, you can visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. We're blessed. It was a great Sunday. My name is Pastor Gabe, and alongside my lovely bride, Lauren, we serve as the lead pastors here at the Broussard campus. And I know we've done this already, but let's show our love and appreciation for all of our guests that are with us this morning. Thank y'all for being here. This morning is a special moment for the body because it's the moment that we receive communion together. And If you haven't gotten those elements, we still have our team in the back. You can raise your hand if you haven't gotten one of those elements, and we'll gladly bring bring them to you. But Jesus said this about communion, which we call the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table. And that's why we have you stay seated, because this is a moment where we pull up to the table together, and we receive this meal to honor Jesus. And Jesus told us this. He said, and as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. So the point of this, the purpose of this is to remember. And I call us a family, but this is the thing, the thing that we're celebrating, this is the thing that, made, that makes us a family. This is the thing that brings us into the family of God, not these elements. It's important for you to know, but the act of what Jesus did on that cross for us brings us into fellowship with him and with one another. So if you will, please take the the elements and you can remove the top layer that reveals the bread that represents the broken body of Jesus, the body that was broken for us, for our healing, for life. It's life to us. Broken people made whole by his brokenness. So if you will, hold that up and let's pray and thank God for this. Father. Thank you again for your great love for us. You found us. You rescued us. And in our brokenness and in our pain and in our depravity, you sent your son. And not only did you send your son to come into the earth, but you sent your son to die. And he died for a price that we could never pay. And I thank you for all, Jesus, that you endured. You endured agony and pain and being beaten and your beard ripped out of your face. You endured all of those things for a broken people to make us whole. So, Lord, thank you for your willingness to endure the cross and to endure the pain for us. We remember it. We don't take it lightly. We don't jump past it. Great is your faithfulness to us. Thank you. You can receive the bread. Now you can peel back the next layer that reveals the juice that represents the blood of Jesus. And the Bible calls this the blood of the new covenant. And a covenant is an agreement. It's an agreement that two parties make. And typically in an agreement, you have each party is contributing to this agreement. But with this one, Jesus did all of the work. And we reap all the benefits. And the benefits that we reap 
or the forgiveness of sin. Listen, I've said this before in moments like this, but it's important that you hear this and you really get it and you know it. There is nothing you have ever done that is greater than this blood. No mistake, no intentional sin, nothing you've ever done is greater than the blood that was shed for your forgiveness to bring you into right standing with God. And that's why we thank him. He cleanses our lives, he cleanses our hearts, he cleanses our conscience. So let's thank God for the blood of Jesus. Father, I thank you for the blood that speaks a better word. It gives us truth, your truth. It washes us clean. Every sin we've ever committed, when we receive you as Lord of our lives, it's washed away. Jesus, we thank you for that. We thank you for the blood you shed. You willingly shed in obedience to the Father so that we could be made clean. So thank you. We drink it in faith. We drink it in remembrance. And we drink it to honor you. In Jesus' name, you can receive the juice. You can put that in the pew pocket in front of you. And when you do, let's, let's show our gratitude and our love to our Savior for everything that he's done for us. I'm going to pray one more time, and then we're going to dive into God's Word. Lord, again, I thank you for the power of, of the Word that shapes us, reveals things to us. It helps us see, helps us see clearly where God, our, the world and our sin nature and all of those things have caused things to look distorted. Your Word comes, and it's very clear. And I pray that, Holy Spirit, you would be very clear and ask that you would glorify Jesus, the Son of God, through me. And bless your people. Speak to your people today. Speak to us in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, we are in our series right now that we just began last week called Prioritize. Everybody say prioritize. And the tagline of this series, if you will, is First things first. This series is prioritized first things first. And the reason why we're doing this is because God's word has a lot to say about the priorities in our lives. The Bible is not just there for church things. The Bible is there to show us how to live. And God has a lot to say about the things that we prioritize. I mentioned this last week that it's possible for us to have things in our lives that should be in our lives but they're in the wrong place in our lives. There are certain things in our lives that are, are fringe things in our lives. We, we, we'll deal with them when we get to them that should be priority. And the things that we have prioritized that should be fringe issues. And like I mentioned last week, going to a chiropractor, what they do is they realign your back. They realign your neck. They put things in the proper order because when things are out of the proper order, it causes discomfort and it causes pain. And some of us are stressed out and we have pain because, not because everything in our life is bad, but because things in our lives are out of order. And so that's, that's what I hope to speak to you in this series. And, but this morning for a moment, I want to talk from the perspective of a dad. I want to speak from the perspective of a father. 
Go with me to the book of Proverbs chapter 4, verse 1. This comes from Solomon, the son of David. David, the great king in Israel's history who killed Goliath. We all know the story. And this is his son, Solomon, who the Bible calls the wisest man to ever live. And he got that wisdom from a divine encounter, a divine moment with God. So he has both with him the wisdom given to him by his father and the wisdom given to him by the Spirit of God and his heavenly Father. And he's taking this wisdom and he's passing it on. Verse 1. My children, listen when your father corrects you. Pay attention and learn good judgment. For I am giving you good guidance. Don't turn away from my instructions. For I too was once my father's son, tenderly loved and my mother's only child. Again, this morning we're speaking from the perspective of a father. And this is a dad who wants the very best for his children. This is a dad that is talking about a priority that should be in the life of his children. Now, I don't know about you, but when when I was a child, me and my parents had very different priorities. I I remember... In all of my teenage brilliance at the age of 15, I remember going up to my mom and saying, Mom, you know what? I think I'm done with high school. I think I'm going I'm to drop out, and there's this other type of school that I'm going to go to. And the truth, the truth is, it didn't matter what type of school. I could care less what type of school it was. I just wanted to get out of high school and get in trouble with my friends. That was my priority. Thank God that my mom had the wherewithal to see through all of my brilliance and said, look, fool, you're going back to school tomorrow. (laughs) My mom had different priorities than mine, and thank God that she did. Mark Twain is quoted as saying this. He said, when I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant, I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 21... I was astonished at how much the old man had learned in seven years. (laughs) Isn't that just the truth? Like we we don't want to hear anything when we're a kid. You don't know, you don't know what my life is like. Like, I don't know if you know this or not, but I made you. (laughs) I know what you're thinking because I thought it. (laughs) Right? And so when we're young, we, we think we Nobody understands me. But the wisdom that comes from our parents typically, or should be, it should be wisdom that wants the very best for you, that wants to protect you, that wants to cover you, that wants to help you. I don't know about you, but I'm sure there are moments in life where you can look back on and think to yourself, I wish I would have listened to them. Wisdom came, but I thought I knew better, and I wish I would have simply listened to them, because if I would have listened to them, then this would not have been as painful as it is. And that's what wisdom wants to do. Wisdom wants to protect you, not control your life, not manipulate your life, not control your life, protect your life. And that's the perspective we're coming from, from King Solomon. Verse 10, same chapter. He says, my child, listen to me and do as I say, and you will have a long, good life. 
I will teach you wisdom's ways and lead you in straight paths. In other words, he's saying, listen to me. I only want good for you. The only reason I'm telling you this is because I want good for you. I remember learning something from Pastor Jacob years ago. I heard him say this, and I've adopted it in my own life. I remember him saying about a conversation he had with someone else, if I tell you this, there's a 60% chance that you'll leave our church. I know your feelings are going to be hurt. I know you're going to be mad at me. I know those things. If I tell you this, there's a 60% chance you'll leave our church. But if I don't tell you this, there's a 100% chance that you will never change. And yeah, wisdom says, I want what's best for you, even when you don't see it, even when you don't agree. I want what's best for you. That's the heart of a father. And this is, there's something, there's something so special about someone who has that pure of an intention for you to give you wisdom that even though it crosses you and it crosses your will, it is for your good. And many of us as parents have been in the position now where you see now what your parents were trying to do to you because it's exactly what you're trying to do for your kids. I didn't want to hear it from you, but now you're saying the same. How many of y'all have had those moments when you go, I sound just like my dad? I can remember my dad saying things like, some of it wasn't true, like, don't get that close to the TV because it's going to ruin your eyes. That's not true. <laughs> but I can remember my dad saying, why do you always have to be entertained? And now my kids have technology, and they're always entertained. And you see yourself starting to say some of those same things. This is coming from the heart of a concerned parent trying to safeguard and protect the life of their child. Let me tell you what, this is not follow these rules or else. This is not this dictatorial mindset that sometimes as, as parents we can fall into. It's not that. It's not let me dictate this to you. This is not I, I just want to manipulate or I want a uh, behavior modification so that we can have artificial peace in our home. That's not what he's talking about either. As a matter of fact, next week we're going to, we're in this series, we're going to be talking about God's priorities and God's order for the family. So if you feel like in your family some things are out of place and out of order, come next week. We're going to be addressing that from God's word. Don't miss next week. But what we're talking about is the motivation from one of the purest loves that a person can have. A loving desire to see their child, their lives blessed. When we're thinking straight and when we're thinking with the mind of Christ, even when we discipline our children, is to protect them from greater pain. We cause lesser pain to protect them from greater pain. Why? All we're doing is mimicking God. The Bible says God disciplines those he loves. He disciplines us, not because he's just mad and just wants to beat somebody down because the angels were off key this morning. No, he disciplines us because he loves us. And he, he will cause momentary pain to keep you from a lifetime of pain. That's the love of a father. And in this chapter, we see Solomon getting ready to give his son a priority. 
something that he needs to prioritize in his life. And it's something that we know, we've heard it, we've, some of you quote it, but we are not very good at doing it. And this is what he goes on to say in verse 20. My child, pay attention to what I say. Listen carefully to my words. He's again saying the same thing. Listen, pay attention. Don't miss this. Don't lose sight of them. Let them penetrate deep into your heart. Let these words go deep into your heart. We're going to talk about the heart in just a moment. For they bring life to those who find them and healing to their whole body. Don't miss verse 23. Here's the whole point. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Guard your heart above what? All else, else, for it determines the course of your life. Now, when I hear that, I think of a few things, and one of which I think of is in football, which again, God's favorite team, the LSU Tigers, is playing tonight. In football, you have a center and an offensive line who has a responsibility, and their responsibility is to protect the quarterback. Now, the quarterback's going to make everything happen. He's going to hand the ball to the running back. He's going to throw the ball to the wide receiver. Some of y'all don't even know what I'm talking about, but it's okay. (laughs) But the center is there. The center and the offensive line is there to protect this quarterback so that he can do what he needs to do to push the game forward. And the make it or break it moments of a game are not always what happens with everyone. Is, their eyes are on the quarterback, but the make it or break it moments are happening and who, who's protecting that quarterback. And when I think of that, men, y'all have watched games where your favorite quarterback is just getting sacked over and over. Ladies, that means tackled. Over and over and over. And you're just looking at the TV yelling, you had one job. (laughs) Your one job, protect that man. And I I would say, I know that we have a um, Tyron Walker who used to play for the Saints. He attends our campus here. He would probably say, Pastor, it's not that easy. (laughs) He played for the Saints and he was a defensive tackle, meaning his job was to break past the offensive line, to break past the center, and to be the one tackling the quarterback, to be the one tackling the running back, to be the one causing problems and distractions so that you couldn't do what needed to be done. He'd probably say it's not that easy, and it's the same thing with our hearts. It's easy to say, but it's more difficult to do. And I want to talk about that this morning because I also think about the responsibility of being a parent. When you walk into the room and you're with your kids, you don't have the same things in mind that you used to have in mind. Now you walk in and you look for the environment to see if it's safe for your kids. You don't walk in anymore like you used to. I'm the man. I'm here. Now you walk in and you go, is, is, is she going to be okay? Are they going to be okay? Is this safe? I don't trust them. <laughs> right? You walk in with different perspective because of the responsibility that you've been given. Solomon is saying, son, here's your responsibility. Here's your priority. Above everything else, guard your heart. Guard your heart. I have a responsibility. Every night, my responsibility at my house is to lock all the doors in my house. This is my responsibility, and I do that for two reasons. Number one, the first reason is so I can keep them safe. 
so that no one can just open up the door and walk into my house and cause chaos and havoc and all of those things. I, have, I check those doors to maintain safety and security for my family. The second reason why I do that is if I don't, at 1 o'clock in the morning, my wife's spidey senses is going to go off and she's going to somehow know and ask me, did you lock the doors? Because it always happens when I have not. So that's my two motivations for doing that. Solomon says, guard your heart. Prioritize the health of your heart. So as we dive into this message, can I ask you a question? How's your heart? How's your heart? Is it healthy? Are you angry at anybody? Are you bitter at anybody? Is it callous? Is it hard? Is it polluted? How's your heart? Now, again, before we dive into how to guard your heart, let me tell you what this is not saying, okay? It's very important for you to know what it's not saying because sometimes we believe things about the text that aren't true. This is what he's not saying. He's not saying um, walk around so guarded that you don't have any friends or any relationships anymore. He's not saying that. Some of us think that guarding our hearts mean that I just push every, I've gotten hurt somewhere along the road, so I push everybody away, and I keep away even the people who mean me well. Because I'm, I'm not talking about being guarded, I'm talking about guarding your heart. Some of you live in such a guarded manner that you're not letting anybody in. Can I talk about men, men, there are some of you in here who were hurt by a woman, and now you're bitter towards every woman. Women, there are women in this building who've been hurt by a man, and now every man you see, you, you judge him automatically. He can say hello, and you're like, mm-hmm, what you mean by that? <laughs> Don't try to be all intellectual. You, you could have just said, hey. Right, but we, you grid them through the lens of the hurt. Of, but somebody hurt you somewhere, and now everybody else is going to pay for it. But the, re, the, the reality is they're not paying for it. You are. You keep reliving the pain over and over and over. So I'm not talking about that. I'm also, this is also not just this general teaching about protecting your emotions and never feeling emotion. This is not, don't worry, be happy. That's not what the Bible is teaching here. And I'll be honest, for years I thought, oh, that's what it's just telling me to protect my emotions. That's not what it's saying. Let me tell you this, emotions are a good thing. Emotions are a God-given thing. Did you know God has emotions? You know, the Bible tells us that he gets angry. The Bible tells us about him, his joy. Jesus came in the flesh and felt all of the emotions that you feel. That's why when we see a, a somebody portraying Jesus with some emotion, we're so drawn to it because it's like, man, that's so real. Because for so long, we had this picture in our mind that Jesus was this stoic, emotionless person who just came. You're forgiven. But Jesus had feelings and emotions. So emotions are not bad, but can I tell you something about them? They're great indicators, but they're horrible gods. If you live your life in your feelings, in your emotions, you're headed for the wrong path, the wrong direction. Because we're not to be led by our emotions, we're to be led by the Spirit. 
You may feel an emotion that's contrary to what God tells you you should be doing. You take that emotion, you process that emotion, and then you think with the mind of Christ. You make your decision that I'm going to do what God wants me to do, not what my emotions are telling me to do. And I know even that is a revelation for some of us in this room. I'm angry, so I'll let them have it. Okay, you probably shouldn't have done that. The Bible says be angry and sin not. It's okay to be angry, but what you did with that was sin. That's not even in my notes, but I don't know why I'm saying all of that. So this is not don't worry, be happy. The context of this conversation that Solomon is having with his kid is this. I'm trying to listen to me, pay attention, because I want your life to be blessed. I want to protect you from evil. I want to protect your life, the decisions you make with your life. I want to guard that. I'm trying to protect you from wickedness and evil. That's the context of this conversation. And dads are willing to tell you things sometimes that hurt you. Dads are willing to tell you things that stop you from going in the path in the direction you thought. I can remember one time I, was, I just sold a house, and we were, my wife and I were saving money to, to buy a new house, buy some land, buy a house, the whole deal. And I had the bright idea, we need a new car. We need to buy a car. And I can remember I called Pastor Jacob, I called my pastor, and I said, I'm thinking about buying this car, what do you think? And he said, Gabe, can I speak to you like I would to my son for a moment? I said, yeah. So that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of in my life. <laughs> Why in the world would you do that? I'm like, so you, you, don't, so you don't think it's wise? <laughs> that's what you're trying to tell me. Let me interpret what you're saying in your coded language of that's stupid. <laughs> right? And so... I can, re- I can remember that moment. It stuck with me because, thank God, I listened to him. Because my emotional whim would have put me in a position that I'd be paying for now. Yeah. And the heart of a father is to do that. The heart of a parent is to protect your kid. And, and Solomon is saying, I'm trying to protect you from your own wickedness and the wickedness of this world. He's trying to protect his son, and he knows that in order for him to protect his son, he has to teach his son. Don't miss this. He's trying to teach his son how to protect his heart, because if his son can protect his heart, he can protect his son's life. But if he can't teach his son, yeah, please don't miss this. If he can't teach his son how to protect his own heart, then he cannot protect his son's life. So we have one job. We have one responsibility. Guard your heart. Now, let's talk about the heart for a moment because typically when we think about the heart, we think about the emotions, right? That's just the way our culture, our society is painted. My heart is my feelings. I'm in my feelings. I'm in my emotions whenever I'm heart. But in biblical times, when you're talking about the heart, you're talking about a step deeper than just the emotions. In biblical times, when you're talking about the heart, you're talking about the motives where the motives and the intentions are formed, When you're talking about the heart, you're talking about the place where the will is galvanized and forged. That's why when you see somebody in a contest or a battle or some kind of sporting thing and they quit, what do you say? They've lost heart because their will stopped. They lost heart in the middle of that battle. It's the place where our desires and our affections are also formed. 
It's where they are. That's why the Bible says, as a man thinks in his what? Heart, so is he. So the heart is the centerpiece of our lives. Our will flows out of it. Our affections, our desires, all of those things come from the heart. So if all of those things are in the heart, then our job is vitally important to protect it. Are y'all tracking with me this morning? This is what the ESV version, English Standard Version says, that same scripture. I love the language. It says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. From your heart flows the spring of life. Picture a well with a spring of water flowing up out, a gusher, gushing. That is your life, and it's all coming from that well. And the Bible is saying, that's your heart. So in other words, if you don't guard your heart, you can contaminate your life. If you can't guard your heart, you will contaminate your life. Have you ever noticed how hard it is? I want you to be honest. Have you ever noticed how hard it is to say no to a temptation that you've allowed to get into your heart? Certain things are really easy to say no to. I've joked with y'all before. I'll, I'll say it again. They've, I've never been tempted to eat green beans, ever. <laughs> not in my heart. Not none whatsoever. People still come out. Have you, Pastor, have you had it with bacon? I don't want it. Why would I defile bacon? <laughs> right? And so I don't, that, that's not a temptation. That's not in my heart. There's no desire in my heart for that. But when it comes to areas of sin in our lives, it's the things that we let get into our heart that become so difficult to deal with. It's like that relationship that you've seen that person in, and it's horrible, it's abusive, they shouldn't be in it. I'm not just talking about marriage context. Some, of the, some marriages need to, and they're that bad as well. They need some vital help and life support, and they need some space away from one another. But I'm talking even about dating relationships, and you see them going in the wrong direction, and you're like, girl, get out of that. And what does she say? I can't. I love him. Because she has let that contaminant in her heart. You can grow up all day long in the church hearing that God's word does not want you to marry an unbeliever. Be not unequally yoked. We know that, we quote that, and we believe that until we see her and she's fine. And then all of a sudden, God's will somehow changes from what his word says. Well, pastor, I prayed about it. He's not going to say anything different than he's already said here. He's not going to go, well, between me and you, it's okay. <laughs> he's already said no. He says what he means, and he means what he says. But what happens? We let our emotions get in it. We let that temptation into our heart. And then because of that, all of a sudden, we're willing to compromise the purity of our stream, because we've let it contaminate in. And that's what Solomon is talking about. And Jesus addresses this as well in Matthew chapter 6. Hold on to this, because it's important to where we're going in the future, this message. But J Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 22. He says, your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, 
your whole body is filled with what? When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with what? But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with what? And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. Now, there's a website, it really is a theological website called gotquestions.org, and you can go there to get all kind of biblical answers about the context of things we read in Scripture. But speaking of this verse, it said, our eyes are the entrance to our hearts and minds. Our eyes are the entrance to our hearts and minds, and as such, they provide a doorway to our very souls. When he refers to good eyes, he meant eyes that not only see well, but also perceive well. It is not only what we see, but how we perceive what we see that makes the difference between godliness and ungodliness, between light and darkness. Our eyes, what we put before us, those things affect the conditions of our heart. Let me give you a very deep meaning in the Greek and the Hebrew. Garbage in, garbage out. That's not in Greek or Hebrew. I'm just telling you that. <laughs> Figured you might hold on to it. Huh? Garbage in, garbage out. What you put in affects what comes out. I was working out yesterday um, with my trainer, a guy named Ben Rogers. He owns Resurrected Strength on Ida Road behind the Walmart. I work out with him often. And a, new, a newer guy to the gym came. He'd never worked out at the gym. He's been in our church for many years. And he came with me. And we're working out, and this is called, he does a hit workout. And if you don't know what hit means, it means he's going to hit you a whole lot <laughs> at this gym. It actually stands for high-intensity interval training. And when you see the words intensity in a workout, you're in trouble. And when it says high in front of it, you're in even more trouble. So we're doing this hour-long high-intensity workout. And the trainer, Ben, walks up to the new guy, and he says, so how was the workout? Which is just cruel and mean to say to somebody on their first one. And the guy said, lesson number one, don't eat sesame chicken the night before a workout. <laughs> Why? Because what you put in your body affects the output of your body. Why is it that we understand that with our body, but we don't understand that with our heart? We don't pay attention to the place where everything comes out. So again, how's your heart? Are you paying attention to that? Are you mindful of that? How is your heart? I met with a, a guy just this past week in a dating relationship. And he's doing it right. He's pure. He's loving Jesus. And he said, Pastor, I just, I think it's time for us to introduce kissing into the relationship. What do you think? And I'll tell you my honest thoughts. I told him, I said, I wouldn't. Not yet. And so, Pastor, why? I'm sure y'all would be asking a question, why? Why, why, wouldn't, why, why, wouldn't I wanna, why wouldn't you kiss her? Well, for a few reasons. Number one, I'm not, I'm not being legalistic. This doesn't mean I'm going to introduce, you know, like no bands on TV, you know, we're not going there. 
Here's the reason. Solomon, Song of Solomon chapter 8 verse 4 says this. Promise me, O women of Jerusalem, not to awaken love until the time is right. Don't awaken love until the time is right. You can unnecessarily open your heart up to an aspect of this relationship that you aren't ready for. You can, you can awaken affections in your life before you're seeing things clearly in that person. Because the moment you start doing that, listen, the butterflies come back with a vengeance, right? They are perfect because you're connecting yourself to them. Instead of reading them and judging whether or not this is the right person for me, you've already jumped ahead. And now your emotions and your, your hormones are telling you they're the right person. They, no, they write. They write right. Because <laughs> you've awakened love before it was ready, before it was time. Listen, don't, don't miss this. What you open your eyes to, you open your appetite to. What you open your eyes to, you open your appetite to. Sometimes you have to put up what we call personal legalisms. And another word of saying, another way of saying that is a boundary. Personal legalism's boundaries. A personal legalism is not quote unquote wrong. And I think again, I've preached this so many times, but that we make that the standard, right? Let me get as close to the line as possible without falling over. If I fall over it, then I've sinned. So we get we snuggle that line real tight. A personal legalism and a boundary says, I'm going to put up my, if this is the line of sin, I'm going to put my boundary right here because I don't even want to get close to that. And there are certain things that I'm going to protect my heart before I even get to the place where that becomes an action. Because if I don't guard my heart, it's inevitable it's going to become an action. So I'm protecting my heart with a boundary so I don't cross the line of sin. That's what I'm talking about, these personal legalisms, these boundaries. Because if we're being honest, there's certain things that our, your heart can't handle that the person next to you can handle. Listen, some of y'all grew up in the country, and you walked around outside bare feet. So to this day, you can step on pine cones, animals, <laughs> nails, fire, volcanoes, it doesn't matter. And it does not bother you a bit. But some of us city boys who grew up wearing Nikes and Adidas with socks on every day of our lives, we're what you call tender-footed. <laughs> right? That skin on the bottom of our feet is a little too tender to handle those things. And so it is with our heart. So it is with our heart. And you have to protect that heart. You have to guard that heart. Are y'all with me? In other words, here's some things. Your heart may be able to handle going to the club, but mine can't. Your heart may be able to watch those movies with all of those sexual innuendos, but mine can't. Ladies, some of you need to draw those boundaries and say, listen, your heart may be okay with being in a setting where all of the wives are doing nothing but bashing and belittling their husbands, but mine isn't. I'll take it a step further. Men, your heart may be okay with you staying up till 1 o'clock in the morning and getting on the internet when nobody else is around, but mine can't. Because you are drawing 
a boundary. You are guarding your heart. When Lauren and I were dating, I remember this. I didn't share this with the first service, but when we were dating, I had some pretty far boundaries away from her. Right? And to the point where she said at one point, she was like, like, do you find me attractive? <laughs> and I said, baby, I'm just telling you, I do, but I'm protecting my heart. But the moment, we book, the moment there's a ring on your finger, things are going to change, and they're going to change drastically. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. And I remember the day she was like, you were right. <laughs> So true. In my line, she said it. She's like, you were right. I was protecting my heart. Not because I'm so holy and spiritual, but I know how potentially unholy and spiritual I could have been. So our job is to guard our heart. That's your responsibility because everything in your life flows out of that. So how is it? And some of you may say, Pastor, that sounds pretty religious to me. Sounds like you're just putting up, this is religious. There's a difference between being religious and putting up a boundary, and I want to explain the two differences to you, okay? A boundary puts up things in place so that you can protect your heart. Religiosity puts up things in place so that your heart doesn't get exposed. And here's the difference. This is what I mean by that. When we act religious so that people don't see the wickedness in our heart, that's called religiosity. You're covering all that's wicked in your heart by trying to do all of these other righteous things in front of everybody so that their opinion of you changes. But when you're humble and you're putting up boundaries, you don't mind bringing people in. Hey, I can't do that because that's a weakness. I can't go there because that's a temptation. Hey, would y'all mind not doing that around me? I'm trying, I'm, that's, that's an area of weakness in my heart. And I will tell you the key difference between the two. One of them is motivated by humility and the other one is motivated by pride. Religiosity says, I have this and I don't want anybody to know about it because then I may feel like I'm less than. So let me show you all of my rules. Let me show you all of my righteousness. Let me hold everybody else accountable to the stuff that I don't even have in my own heart. That's religiosity. Pride says, help me. I need, help me see what I don't see. Help me put up boundaries in places that are a weakness in my life that if I knew how to protect it, I would have protected it. So will you help me so I can protect it? Pride and humility is the difference. And Jesus addresses this. He talks about this. Listen, you can start making up rules to look holy instead of humbling yourself and being holy. There are churches that are founded on rules. And the hearts of their people are full of wickedness. Because they're abiding by the rules instead of letting their hearts be changed. Jesus dealt with it in Matthew chapter 11. You hypocrites, Jesus said. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. For he wrote, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce. In other words, it's a facade. It's a show. It's nothing. For they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. 
And then Jesus says something that's going to seemingly at first contradict what we've been talking about, but it doesn't. I assure you it doesn't. And and he's going to go on. I'm going to show you why. But in verse 10, he says, then Jesus called the crowd to come to him here and here, excuse me. Listen, he said, and try to understand. It's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. You are defiled by the words that come out of your mouth. And I could, pastor, see, we can put whatever we want into us. That doesn't defile us. You're right. What you put into you doesn't defile you. But even though it doesn't defile you, doesn't mean it doesn't affect you. It may not defile you, but it certainly does affect you. Jesus is also the one who said, don't forget, in Matthew 6, that your eye is the gateway. Your eye is the light of your soul. If that is darkened, then everything inside of you is darkness. The same, we, you interpret Scripture in light of other Scripture. You don't just hang on one. You put the two together to figure out what the heart of it is. And remember who he's talking to. Let me tell you who he's talking to. He's talking to a bunch of religious people who put up prideful rules, whose hearts were unaffected. So that's what he was talking about here. He was saying, your fake, false, man-made rules you can't put on everybody else because your hearts are wicked and evil. So you can eat whatever you want, and that's not going to— you can eat with unwashed hands, and that's not going to affect you. Your heart is the thing that I'm after. Your heart is the thing that everything else comes from. So Jesus here is addressing dietary customs that he created. And Peter comes and he asks for clarity, and I'm glad he did because it helps us understand what the heart of Jesus' words were. In verse 15, then Jesus, Peter said to Jesus, explain to us the parable that says people aren't defiled by what they eat. Because Peter grew up believing and thinking and reading, and this is, we're defiled if we eat this. We're defiled if we don't do this. Don't you understand yet, Jesus asked. Anything you eat passes through the stomach and then goes into the sewer. I'm not going to explain that. You get it. (laughs) Verse 18, but the words you speak come from what? The words you speak come from the heart. That's what defiles you. For from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. These are what defile you. Eating with unwashed hands will never defile you. Jesus is saying, you're majoring on a minor, but you're missing the heart. You're missing the big picture. So what are the things that defile you? The things you let in your heart. Evil words, evil thoughts, murder, adultery, Sexual immorality, theft, lying, slander. And so many of these things, I don't, I'm not going to go there for the sake of time, but so many of these things are tied to what Jesus taught on the Sermon on the Mount. When he was talking about wanting your sincere desire to serve God to come from your heart, not just your actions. All of these things flow from the heart. That's why you should protect it. How's your heart? How is it? 
If you let, have you let anger in? Because like Jesus taught on the Sermon on the Mount, if you let anger in, if you let anger ruminate in desire, out of that comes slander. That's why it's easy for you to bash someone. That's why it's easy for you to talk down to them. That's why it's easy for you to treat them like they're trash. Why? Because you've let anger inside of you, and it's been bouncing around like, like a, something that's out of a tin can causing and affecting different things. Why? Because you never dealt with the anger in your heart. And that became slander. And that becomes violence. And ultimately that becomes murder if left unchecked. And it starts with anger. Some of you let images that don't honor God be before your eyes. And you've looked at things and you've allowed your heart to attach itself to the things that you see. And that's what causes adultery. That's what causes sexual immorality. That's what causes impurity. You let what you saw get in you. There are men in this room that you battle with images that you saw when you were 11 years old. Because you let it into your mind and it got into your heart and it became a desire of your heart. Nobody just walks, wakes up one day, falls, slips, and oh my gosh, I fell into adultery. It's not how it works. The action begins with a thought. You see it, you think it, and since you let it ruminate in your thoughts, it gets into your heart, and then it becomes an action. It doesn't start with the action, it starts with the unchecked flirting. It starts with you letting that man tell you something that only your husband should have the ability to tell you. That's where it started. It started with that glance that you let stay just a little bit too long, and that glance became a desire in your heart. That's why your responsibility is to protect your heart. How's that going? How's the, the goal to please everybody? It's my desire to please everybody. When your desire is to please everybody, that becomes lying and manipulation. You're willing to twist things and manipulate things and lie to people. Why? Because you need to keep feeding that darkness in your heart that everybody just likes me. It's about me. How's that going? And ultimately, when the desire of your heart is selfishness, your desire is to please you, and that's ultimately where all of these things come from. That leads to horrible things. You will sin against people for the desire to please yourself. You will hurt people to please you. You'll hurt people to make you feel better. You'll take advantage of people to meet your need. How is that going? How's your heart? You have one job, church, one responsibility. Guard your heart. Above all else, guard your heart. So some of you need to put up boundaries. You need to start staying far away from the thing that keeps tripping you up. Put up a personal legalism. Have the humility to say, you know, I'm not going to be a part of that. I'm not going to be able to come to that. I'm not going to be able to. I don't, th those jokes are making me uncomfortable. I'd rather y'all not let me be a part of that anymore. Draw your boundaries. Guard your heart. Now, for those of you who are here and you say, Pastor, I've, I've already exposed my heart to these things. Now what? God's word speaks to you as well. The first thing that you need to do is repent. 
and repent is not this angry word that you're less than, so hurry up and get right, repent. That's not what the word repent means to turn and go in the opposite direction. If you're going in this direction, ask God to forgive you and then start going in this direction. Start moving in that direction. So repent. Number two, humble yourself and ask for help. Again, pride says, I got this. Let me put on the show to make everybody think I'm okay. Humility says, I don't have this. I don't got this. I need help. And humble yourself and go to someone and let them speak truth. Let them help you formulate a plan to draw those boundaries around your heart and around your soul. And three, let God renew your mind. The Bible says in Romans, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The job of the Spirit, the job of the Word, guess what? It's to renew your mind. It's to renew that heart. God can soften a calloused heart if you'll let him. God can purify the stream that comes from your heart if you will let him. But you got to humble yourself. You've got to come to him. Some of us, hear me, I've said this before. You are only as sick as your secrets. You are only as sick as the things that you are hiding and keeping. And you don't think anybody sees it. But as that spring of water comes out, they all see it. They all see it because it's flowing out of your heart. You ever been around people who are bitter and they don't think they're bitter, but it comes out in every word that comes out of their mouth? Their waters have been tainted. You ever been around people, men who can't, can't see an attractive woman walk by without staring and glaring and because they've allowed their waters to be tainted. How's your heart? Are you mad? Are you bitter? Are you wounded? Jesus wants to heal you. He wants to clean, clean that up. He wants to cleanse that, but you've got to let him. I want you to close your eyes and bow your head. I want to pray for you this morning. you're here and you got the challenge to guard your heart, hold on to that. Fight for that. Draw your boundaries that need to be drawn. But for those of you who are here and you say, Pastor, I just, I've already let them in. I've already let that stuff into my heart. Listen, with nobody looking around, I want to have a moment with just you and God. I want you to humble yourself and say, that's me. I'm not going to embarrass you. That's not the heart of this. If you say, I've let some things in there that have tainted my stream. I just want you, nobody looking around, I just want you to lift up your hand and just acknowledge that. Just say, that's me. I've let some things in, Pastor, that I shouldn't have. And it's time for me to put up some boundaries. Come on, don't be, don't be embarrassed. Listen to me. Hear my heart. Hear the word of God. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Thank you. You can put them down. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for the humility of your people to say that they need help. And I pray that you would meet that humility with your grace. That through the word of the Lord and through the people that you are putting around them, that proper boundaries would be set so that their heart can heal. That you would give them divine wisdom 
protect their heart. Maybe it's a relationship, Lord, that needs to end today. I pray they would end it today. Or maybe it's an addiction to a habit. Maybe even something that everyone else seems to be doing. I pray that it wouldn't work for them, so you would, you would cause them to draw the boundary to protect the heart. And I thank you for the freedom. I pray for every single person that raised their hands that their waters would be pure and sweet, not bitter. Lord, I also sense to pray just those who need to forgive. God, I pray that they would offer forgiveness to those who've hurt them. They would offer that, not because that person deserves it, but because you want them to be free. You want them to offer to those what you've offered to them, forgiveness. In Jesus' name. Now with no one looking around as well, if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I'm not born again. I've never prayed to be born again. I'm not right with God. I'm not talking about those who are Christians that I just prayed for. I'm talking about those who've never made, you've never surrendered to become a believer. And you know God himself is drawing you. Today's your day. Today is your moment. I want to pray with you to be what the Bible calls born again. And that word is exactly what it sounds like. You become a new creation in Christ. The old you dies and the new you is risen to life. Pastor, how do I do that? It's as simple as ABC, A, you admit. Admit that you're a sinner, that there's sin in your life that separates you from a holy, just, righteous God. But then B, you believe. You believe that God sent Jesus to die on the cross for that sin. That the price he paid on the cross was not just this ethereal concept, not just this generalized thing, dying for the world. He died for you. He died for your sin. He died so that you could be forgiven. And see, you confess. Confess that he is now Lord of your life and that from this moment on, you're surrendering to follow him. To follow him. So if that's you and you say, Pastor Gabe, I want to be born again. I want to be right with God. Today is my day. I want to lead you in a prayer. Before I do, I want to acknowledge who I'm praying with. On the count of three, I want you to lift up your hand because I want to know who I'm praying for. One, two, three. If that's you, lift it up. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Praise God. Thank you. Thank you. See your hand. Lift it up high. Lift it up high. Don't be embarrassed. Listen, if you lifted your hand, look at me just for a moment. Just you. Never forget this moment. This is the beginning. This is a fresh start. Everything from this moment on, gone. Gone. You can close your eyes. Church, let's pray this prayer out loud with every one of these precious, precious saints of God. Say, Dear Lord Jesus. I believe, I believe with my heart that you are the son of God, that you died on the cross and rose again from the dead on the third day to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with the Father. I turn away from my sin. I repent of it. And I choose to follow you. And from this moment on, God, you are my father.
Jesus, you're my Lord and Savior. Holy Spirit, you're my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, church. Let's celebrate with every person that prayed today to be born again. Listen, if you prayed that, welcome to the family of God. And I want to encourage you to do something. Keep coming. Keep learning what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus. Let us help show you. Listen, Jesus doesn't call us to follow him by ourselves. We always follow him together. So come and learn what that means to follow him as a spiritual family. Also, I want to encourage you that after, after this service, right across the awning, right there outside in our nursery building, is our, our intro to next steps. If you're trying to figure out, where do I go from here? What's my next step in my journey with God? Whether you've been saved for two weeks or 20 years, there's a next step for you. And we want to help you discover that step and take that step. Stand to your feet. I want to pray for you one, one last time. And before I go, this prayer team. Our prayer team is going to be here at the altar. If you need prayer for anything or even to pray for someone else, to intercede for someone else, come and join with our prayer team before you leave today. Also, Wednesday night, if you're interested in being a part of our prayer team, Wednesday night we have intercessory prayer in, in the nursery area building, Wednesday at 6 o'clock, as well as our grief share. If you're grieving and you're hurting and that's the condition of your heart, come and get in an environment with people who can help you through that grief process. Father, I pray you bless your people. I pray that you would make your face shine on them, that you would bless them in their going out and in their coming in, and that all that they do would be blessed in your name and for your kingdom. God, I pray that as a church, you would make us a pure church that walks in the fear of the Lord, a powerful church that walks in the power of the Holy Spirit, and a persistent church that even in the face of challenges, we would follow you resolutely. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen.